Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home. Block Talk Radio. Payano, 
surprised me with that performance. I, I don't know where the eight to four came in for Roman. Uh, speaking of surprising, Neri was uh, surprisingly dull. And there's no way that Showtime thought that fight was going to be dull one or two go the distance. But it stretched out super long, longer at that time, right? It, once it gets late, especially on the East Coast, I did start to feel bad for some of the East Coast folks. Uh, but all in all, it was an entertaining card. There was that uh, Figueroa and Vasquez fight that, like, through six rounds was a great fight. Then it became one-sided, no doubt about it. So there's a lot to talk about, like I said, inside the ring. We will have a little bit of news. Uh, Pacquiao is out there rumored against McGregor, um, but not so fast, says another fighter. We'll talk a little bit about that. I have some uh, embarrassing audio clips from the Maddox show that, I'll, uh, that I'll, I'll, I'll put on here for a little bit just for some fun, some boxing Twitter stuff. That'll be kind of in that realm. And just the the smear campaign that was in full force by some media members was just ridiculous. Uh, I don't I don't even think Ioli uh, yeah Kevin he still has yet to I don't think he's written an article. I think the article he he wrote today that I saw didn't even mention the Charlos. Um, so that is and he he basically just did UFC the whole night. Didn't even bother <laughs> to uh, you know check on boxing or anything like that. Um, Usyk Chisora now has a date, a little bit of Eddie Hearn stuff too. Eddie Hearn is talking some stuff that's just like, what about the knockout? He was on with Boxing Socialist, or Boxing Social, excuse me, and he was just saying something. Well, he was was up and about to his feet by eight or nine. Meanwhile, did the judge or did the judge, did the ref even count? I don't remember a count. He was out, but he's just trying to downplay the knockout, try to throw some other folks underneath the bus. And he's just saying really delusional stuff. Then he kind of goes, well, you know what? I don't know. But either way, you know, it's like, dude, just stop, man. Just stop. You can at least say it's risky. Boxing's risky. He said he's ready. You know, he even said, though, in, in this interview that, you know, he could have came back in January or February. I'm talking about Dillian White. So we'll talk about a variety of stuff. But like I said, it's going to focus heavy on this uh, Charlo card and just on the fights. We'll look at the fights coming up this weekend. Um, the one that stands out is Zepada and uh, Branchik. I think that's a good mid-level fight that either fighter could really catapult himself up higher at 140, so that's an interesting one. BBC has a card, I believe, on FS1 as well. So we'll talk about that. And, you know, as far as covering, you know, the Chavez Jr. fight, he quit on the stool. He thought he was going to win, but he didn't know, and he said he can continue. Who cares? Who really cares? The zone picked that up, and Pop Sr. was in an exhibition. He won. He looked pretty good. I didn't see it. I wasn't going to watch it. Sorry. But, yeah, Chavez Jr. quit on the stool. Um, so, yeah, zone picked that puppy up, and they, they were happy with the numbers, I guess, um, from what I understand. Um, but, anyway, we'll get into um, a variety of stuff on the show. Like I said, I, I, for one, definitely enjoyed 
what I saw um, oops, on uh, on Saturday. It was fun just to have. I like how they they mixed up. I, I knew a six fight card was gonna go long. You know what I mean? I know that they in you know intentionally tried to not have the main event during the Lakers game. <laughs> you know, it just makes sense. LeBron. The Lakers closing out, it, you know, that, that just takes up a lot of tension. So I know they try to do that. But like I said, I, I doubt if they thought Neri, that fight would last. His opponent was actually better uh, than coming in than most of us thought. But um, so credit to him. And he did neutralize Neri, but Neri was just god-awful. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's, that part of it sucked. But I knew it. I mean – some people didn't even know this format. They do podcasts. They, they're on Twitter talking boxing all day. And they're, like, shocked about this 30-minute delay thing. And it was like – or not delay, but, you know, break or whatever. I'll say this, though. <clears throat> that the, the delay that they have with the podcast, uh, you know, that, that was like, okay, great. I think it was a 31-minute, 31, 31 to be exact, I thought they said. It was supposed to be 30 minutes anyway. I think it has to do a lot with the, uh, you know, the employees, everybody that's working on this set. I'm pretty sure that there there has to be a, a time break in there. But either way, <clears throat> I did, like, instead of the meat and then the potatoes, you know, the, the combination, the meat and potatoes on the – we had to wait till 11 o'clock at night. It was nice kind of breaking it up. And I think um, I think we'd have a different feel if that Neri fight went quicker or was just more action-packed. I really think that played into it because that fight did suck for the for what we normally call the co-feature. But it was nice to have the first Charlo uh, Derivinchenko fight before the Lakers game even started. I think it was 30 or 40 minutes before. So that was pretty dope. <clears throat> That first part of that card was was really fun. But anyway, um, we're going to get into it in just a second. If this is your first time listening to the Rope Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope Dope Radio. It streams live at archives. Um, but, you know, you don't have to just go to Blog Talk and download the show from there or listen to it in the browser. You can find the Rope Dope Radio podcast on Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Stitcher, really across the board. Uh, we're also part of the Grueling True Sports Podcast Network, which can be found everywhere, including Spotify. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com. It's boxing, it's football, it's basketball, it's baseball, it's everything in between. And uh, one more thing, if you're thinking about cutting the cord, or you have, you're not quite happy, I got something for you. It's called AT&T TV Now. It's live streaming cable. Um, you have the seven-day free trial, no annual contract. The plans start as low as $55 a month. You can stream it anywhere. They have the cloud DVR. And right now, if you sign up, you get a free month, 30-day free trial of HBO Max. And there's another layer. If you sign up for the Max package, HBO Max, Max excuse me, is, is already included. And you get a free month of Showtime, which is normally $11 a month. So that's something for you boxing fans out there, free months. Um, but anyway, AT&T TV now, like I said, live streaming cable. Okay, i got to get another drink of water here. <clears throat> you know when you just take a sip of water and it's just like, nope, 
down the wrong pipe. <clears throat> That's what happened to me to a much lesser extent, but uh, <clears throat> that was weird. That was very weird. Um, anyway, you know, uh, where should we start? Well, we might as well we'll just kind of go in order of uh, how this stuff was. I think that's probably a good way. I got a bunch of different scorecards in front of me. Um, so to start out with a guy like uh, Casemiro, that was fun. Um, that Makai dude, actually, he was landing, like, some good shots. Like, he landed some good jabs. He landed some good body shots. It started out like action-packed fight. That didn't last long as far as the way of two-way, you know, in, in the way of a, a two-way fight. It just, it just that was quick, you know, not much. It's funny because I was about to uh, tweet, like, hey, this Makai is, is here to fight, dude, and all of a sudden he got hurt. Um, and the second round came out early body attack um, by Casemiro. Um, but, you know, Makai was firing back. You got to give him credit. Uh, I think it was a left hook to the temple region. And then I think he followed it up with like a scraping right hand. That's where he got really hurt. I couldn't believe he was still getting through the round. I was like, this dude's done. You could see it at the end of the round. Um, I think it was like a left and right uppercut and uh, TKO, basically. They stopped the fight. You had uh, <laughs> Casemiro um, doing one-arm push-ups and stuff like that. That was pretty funny. Um, and he's just a blast to watch. Like, there's really no way around it. He's just a fun fighter to watch. And uh, he made for a, a fun start. You know, the guy is just all action. He's just an all-action type guy, and I'm looking forward to see more of him. I'm assuming he will be back earlier than he normally would with such a short fight. Um, but that that was uh, a fun little way for the card to start. Um, then we get into Figueroa and Vasquez, Damian Vasquez, Brandon Figueroa. A lot of people bump. They're calling him the heartbreaker, but we know who the real heartbreaker is in the Figueroa family. No disrespect by any means, though. This fight was a good-ass scrap till about six, maybe through six rounds. I gave Vasquez the first two rounds. Um, he had a lot of early success. Um, he just brought a constant jab. He had the quick little combos. Um, whereas Figueroa, he had a jab going. He had a, a couple of hard like, counters. Um, but he just wasn't that effective in those in the early part of the rounds, um, first two I gave him. Then the third and fourth, I thought the body attack, right hooks especially, um, you know, did it. He rapid-fired like combinations. His work rate, you know, went way up in the fourth round. Uh, great close by both fighters in that round, though. That was a really fun round. Uh, fifth round, had him trapped Vasquez on the ropes um, early and late, basically, you know, he was just really starting to go off on him. Uh, Vasquez did close well, and I thought he carried it in to the sixth round. He had that double and triple jab, uh, had some hooks and overhand left. So I'm looking at the scorecard through six. It's like 4-2 Figueroa, 3-3, three, three, to be honest with you. But after that, it got pretty one-sided. <clears throat> the seventh round is kind of the beginning of the end for Vasquez, although there was a lot of exchanges. 
And uh, it was a close round, actually. You know, I wouldn't just hand that round out to anybody, but pretty much that was it. You know, Vasquez got buzzed really bad in the eighth. Um, left hooks on the inside were starting to land uh, really, really well for Figueroa. Vasquez was cut and swelling. You know, it, it was – it basically, by the eighth round, it was like, whoa, okay, yeah, we got to start looking at stopping this thing. And maybe even the seventh that was there, but like I said, it was actually a competitive round, so – I couldn't just say, oh, throw in the tall now. But, I mean, the flurries, there were still some exchanges, but it was much more one-sided, and Vasquez was definitely hurt. Um, Figueroa coming out, still on his jab, uh, landed a left hand, I think it was, and uh, it was a TKO in the 10th. It was a good stoppage. I mean, there wasn't – I think it was the 10th round. Ninth round, the 8th and ninth was like, okay, you could stop this fight whether I'm talking to the ref, whether I'm talking to the, uh, the corner, the commission, whatever, you know, um, it was enough. I had seen enough just like everybody else at that point. Um, but still, you know, Figueroa has a way of, uh, you know, just brawling, getting into brawls, right? That's kind of his thing. But, um, you know, I thought he looked better in the second half. It did. He, like I said, first or second round, he kind of seems like he's just kind of figuring stuff out, or or is he actually trying to do a little bit of boxing or trying to just be a little bit more tempered in his offense and not just go get hit a bunch, you know? What is he, 23 years old or something like that? Both these guys are really young. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a really fun fight, like I said, for about six rounds. And then it was like, okay, dude, that that's it. That's good. Um, so yeah, that was that was intense, dude. That was that that part of it was tense. Hold on. So anyway, sorry about that. I had to. I got this weird text, and I thought it was pertaining to the show, but it was. But it was not. It was something else. I read it wrong. Anyway, um, so on to, um, well, actually, let's just we'll just stay with the, uh, we'll just stay with talking about the undercard stuff. Um, so obviously, we'll talk about the Charlo Derbychenko in a second. Uh, Roman and Payano was the first fight after that thirty-minute break, and this was a tight fight, dude. This was I like this whole eight to four. I think all three judges had it eight to four. I was like, what? What are, what are you talking about? Now I'm not saying oh Payano won, he got screwed, but and I know Roman did actually speaking of getting screwed. Um, you know he did get screwed. Uh, Roman did, but uh, off that knockdown, you know. But still, it just it 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 kind of blew me away. Like, oops. It just kind of blew me away, like the eight to four cards. I, I, and nobody really said much. It was like, yeah, well, whatever. Um, the first round, the pace was kind of slow, picked up a little bit. Roman had some really good body work, I thought. Late, there were some late exchanges, so you could maybe give that to Roman. But I gave the, or actually, I'm talking about the second. 
first was a little slow. It took a little while for this to, to pick up, but I gave the third, fourth, and fifth to Payano. Um, he was active. He was landing the body in the head. He was kind of winging his shots. And Roman just was not able to cut the ring off. Um, he'd land some body work, but that was about it. And Payano clearly landed the better shots. Kind of like stepped into like, you know, territory of like six years ago or something. Like the fountain of youth. That's what he stepped into. Um, he looks really good, man. He looks really, really good. Um, even the sixth round was a competitive round. That, that, I'm not going to say it's a full swing round. I did give it to Roman. And actually, I gave, I gave him the sixth in the seventh. He started to get inside. And when he got inside, he started doing some really, really good work there. Um, then Payano actually said, all right, screw this. Eighth round, he started attacking the body. But he actually started attacking. He started coming forward, and I thought, okay, this dude's really going for it. Like, he's not going out like that. He wants to win this fight. He knows he's doing well. And don't get me wrong, I had it 7-5 to five or 6-6, six, six, Roman. And you may say, well, if you had it 7-5, Chris, then, you know, 8-4 to four is right there. And I just disagree. I mean, the reason why I had it 7-5, to five, Roman, or a draw, I gave the ninth. 10th, 11th, and 12th. He was, uh, um, Payano was up on my scorecard 5-4. to four. And then, you know, like I said, four straight rounds got him to that 7-5. to five. He started being the aggressor. Um, he standing, you know, started landing the better shots, getting the back to his body. Um, and just was busier. You could kind of see he was wearing down. And then um, the ref definitely missed it. There was a late knockdown in an exchange. Um, it was a left hand that landed hard, should have been a 10-8 round. So even at a 6-6, I do think Roman deserved the win um, because he clearly – I could see maybe the angle was weird and it looked like a stumble, but he landed a hard shot and he fell into the ropes. He fell kind of, you know, outside of the ring a little bit. So a little surprise there. Payano, just the work rate that in the second half of the fight was still there. He was still working, but it wasn't, they weren't landing as, as hard. You know what I mean? I think that was the difference. Cause if you look at it, Payano threw 804 to 633. You don't really think of Payano as like the super work rate guy. He landed 261 to 152, landed 32% of his shots. And I know some of it was just jabs or, or whatever. You can call them pity pad or whatever, but that's not what it was in the first six rounds in my opinion. So I was a little shocked at all three of the scorecards. Like I said, they were eight, four. And then it kind of like, people were just like, yeah, whatever. That kind of threw me off. I was like, what's going on here? But that doesn't make any sense. Um, You know, Roman had a really tough fight earlier this year with MJ. And uh, he's a guy that just seems to fight on whoever he's fighting level. He really does. A lot of tight fights with him. Um, either he'll start really well and, and show his boxing skills, but he always ends up, you know, getting on the inside and, and brawling. But it just seems like he's pretty competitive with everyone, which is not like a diss on him. It just it doesn't surprise me. Well, it does surprise me that Payana won six rounds, I guess, but or five even. But um, 
it was it was a good performance. You know, at 122, there's so many, you know, quality fighters under this in general, but especially under the PBC umbrella, which I bring that up because the fights will get made. You know, they, you don't have to depend on politics and stuff like that. So that was uh, that was a good fight. I did not, I didn't know what we were going to get out of Payano. He's been very up and down lately. And he's just getting old. What is he, 35? Um, but he looked good, man. He looked good. So it's, it's hard for me to say, oh, Payano should, should hang him up because look what he did. Um, now, as far as Luis Neri, um, Neri, uh, he just he was stuck between styles. We talk about that once. You know, he's now with uh, Renoso, um, Canelo's, you know, trainer, Ryan Garcia's trainer. Um, and he was trying to, like, show more fundamentals, trying to get his jab going, trying to work his way kind of on the outside and inside, I guess. And he was winning a, a lot of the rounds. I mean, how many rounds did I even get uh, Almeida? Um, I gave him the fifth. What else? I mean, you couldn't really give him a ton. I gave him the eighth. I gave him the tenth. The last couple, I think the the eighth round is when both of them started to get, it, it was like a tad better action. You know what I mean? And I think Almeida got more confident beyond just the jab. Um, but he was using his length and jab really well. He was blocking shots with his gloves. Uh, but, yeah, we just didn't see the pressure, even if it's responsible pressure. We didn't see that out of Neri. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what's up. I don't know what's up. I mean, the power didn't come up to 122 with him. Um, and like I said, the, the 10th, 11th, 12th were funner to watch. He started actually pressing and, and putting his punches in bunches like he normally does, um, you know, mixing it up. But And there was some nice counters by Almeida too. But overall, it was just pretty disappointing. But even the punch stats, 180. Nary to 177. I mean, you're right there. Body shots, 59 to 18. That's where he actually separated himself. So it was weird because they were throwing a fair amount of punches. It just didn't look like they were putting a lot in them. And Almeida, this is his first really big step up fight in a sense. And so I can see why he was a little bit more standoffish and tentative. And like I mentioned, as that eighth round came around, he started opening and landed better, you know, punches. But, um, yeah, I had an eight to four, maybe seven to five, something like that. Scorecards were 115, 113, 116, 112, and 118, 110. Um, Almeida did show his worth as, as far as, like, a contender. But, yeah, it just seems like, you know, maybe it was the, the style or the southpaw that threw off. You know, maybe he should try to make 118. I know that's kind of a joke. Maybe he needs more time at 122, Nary. Um, and more time, you know, with his trainer. Maybe that would help, too. I think that could play a part of it. But um, whatever it is, it was just, you know, like I said, especially the East Coast, by that time, the Lakers game was almost done. And I think, well, no, it was done by that time. And then, you know, when there's so much attention when you're talking about LeBron, the Lakers, 
you know, clinching a, a berth to the finals. That took up a lot of space online, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, obviously it's one of the most competitive. Fox uh, had baseball on. They had the World Cup on. Or not the World Cup, but the, uh, the Stanley Cup for hockey. Uh, it was just a whole lot of shit on there. That's for sure. It was, like, it was a lot of stuff. So I think the combination of Nary not fighting like we're normally seeing them. And then, you know, it taken so long to get there. The 12 rounds is like, what? Come on, dude. So I really think that's what, uh, you know, dragged it on, basically. that That's what really did it. And I definitely don't think Showtime thought that that was going to be the case. Um, but, you know, um, it is what it is. I don't think this is going to be like an ongoing thing that they're going to do. You know, so and what I mean by that is have these double headers where there's, you know, six fights and all that. And I think it was just kind of, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say a complete one off, but it, it, it kind of feels like that probably will be what it is. It's tough to say, though. Um, but so I like the fact that, like I said, you did get what would normally be the co feature early and attention wise, hey, you know, the fight was a good fight, one of the better fights of the year, and that got on, like I said, before the Lakers. So that was kind of cool. But, yeah, it got late. It got late. So I guess, you know, when you're going to do six fights and there's five championship fights, no matter what you think of them, um, I'm just talking distance, you know, there's always going to be – I mean, that, that's a long card. You know what I mean? Um, so it is what it is. Like I said, I don't think there will be – it's funny because some of the people that I see complaining are the same people that advocate the watching these five, six hour streams. And some people say, and I'm talking about ESPN and DAZN, and some folks will be like, they need to do this for like, uh, like on a show, like a normal broadcast for like seven to midnight or something on FS1. And it's like, dude, if you're trying to bring in any kind of casuals, you're not going to show the whole card. I understand for a hardcore fight fan at school, you know, you don't have to go searching for it online after you hear something popped off in a fight or something, but I don't know, man. I, you know, but like, I did notice that some people love the five and six hour streams, but this was too long. You know, So I just thought it was, I knew it was going to be long. Um, and like I said, I'm just glad we didn't have to wait for the two top fights the whole time. I think that helped me out. But there was a lot of sports on, so some people like to watch every single round. Some people have, you know, a party going on. Some people have a, a, another person with you. Um, and, and so you're flipping through. Okay, let's watch the fourth quarter of that. Okay, that fight looks boring. Let's do that. I mean, that's something that is, is kind of a normal thing, uh, especially if you're a sports fan, not just a boxing fan, you know. So I did some of that. And, you know, just kind of in and out, especially on that break, you know. So, um, but let's get to the main two, shall we? Um, we'll go with Charlo uh, Derevinchenko first. Uh, this was a good fight. This was a very competitive fight. Um, it it, it kind of played out how a lot of us thought it would play out. And to the point where what would happen when Derevinchenko got into the fight, started working the body, 
and was able to close the gap. And it seemed like bother, at least buzz, bother, hurt. I don't know what it was, but, you know, there was both of them were that at, at points in this fight. But I gave Charlo with that jab, something that is a theme throughout the night, that jab and just busy work. Um, Sergey did manage a few right hands, and I think he, he scored a nice left hand to the body. I gave Derevchenko the second round, an early right hand and some cr- really crafty shots on the inside. Right when it looked like they're about to, to clinch or, or get broken up or, or get you know kind of frozen, he he would create a little space and bam, it hit him. I thought it was a really crafty move. Um, whereas the jab and left hook was mostly. Um, coming out of Charlo when that round pause, but then, and that's another thing, the jab and then the left hook, whether it's a counter left hook or the jab left hook or a lead left hook. I mean, he, he had it going in that way. I gave him uh, the third round, um, a few good exchange in that. I think it was a nice right hand. Um, and I want to say that Derevchenko got, st- was that the third round where he got stumbled late? It was a right. And I think a left on the top of his head. That uh, that got to him a little bit. I believe that's correct. Um, I think that's right. Um, fourth round, I um, I gave to Charlo. Um, a few short shots on the inside from Derevchenko. I thought he closed pretty well. There were some more exchanges though, uh, but midway through the round, an uppercut was probably the best um, punch landed in that round. It was a close round though. Left hooks. Uh, some right hands, not a lot, more counter left hooks than that. And the counter left hook came out more when Derevchenko finally was pressing forward. Now, the fifth round was close. That was a, that was a competitive round. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I think Derevchenko got that because of the last part he threw some combinations, was able to get close to him, put him on the ropes at times. Um, so it was a close one, you know what I mean? It was a close one, and, and but like I said, you could really see that the fight by that time was was on the inside. Uh, and so the fifth and sixth round, maybe it's back to back rounds for Derevchenko. He started jabbing more, uh, finding a you know his range finally. I think that was uh, that was something that was important to him. There's a couple of times Charlo flurried off the ropes, but not enough for me to give him the round. So I looked at it about four to two Charlo or three three. At, six, at the sixth round, but then right when it looked like Derevchenko put those back-to-back rounds in, Charlo kind of, this is where he won the fight. Um, they were trading blows throughout this, don't get me wrong, but the left hooks and the right hand and the steady jab the whole time, you could see Derevchenko started swelling up more. Um, but I mean, it seemed like both guys were like I said, I don't know if they're hurt, but both guys were getting a little buzzed off the shots they were landing. Um, Charlo had more good stuff with the jab and left hand. A um, couple of combinations to the body by Derevchenko, but he closed better. Charlo did. That's why I gave him that. Then the hard right hand started finding a home, like probably six or seven, eight in a row uh, for Charlo in the ninth round. He really started landing that that, that right hand. And uh, then I thought, oh, you know, he he could hurt him now. This is where you might actually, you know, knock him down. Um, and he just, he was smart with it, man. Um, like, 
Derevchenko would make a couple of these rounds, the 10th and 11th, kind of close. You know, he'd land good shots when they were close, but the clean shots, the, the guy landing the steady jab and whatnot, that was Charlo again. Charlo kind of mostly at range in the 11th. Um, and so he just, he did some work on the inside. He moved subtly, and he just kept them at range. It was a really great performance. Now, I gave Derevchenko the last round. He got inside. He was busier. Um, he landed really good body shots, uh, just plenty of clean shots in general. Not to say Charlo didn't land some good shots in that round, but I gave it um, I gave it to Derevchenko. So it was 8-4 to four, uh, for Charlo. Uh, maybe 7-5, to five, but, you know, Whichever, I don't see it like nine to three or anything like that. Kind of mixed reviews on this fight. Um, some people, I think a couple of people said it's their fight of the year. I mean, it's, it's up there as the fight of the year. I'm not going to say it was the fight of the year, but it was a good competitive fight, one of the better fights of the year. And this year is a little strange because, you know, we missed a lot of March, April, May, June. You know, there was, there was what, one fight here. Um, a candidate for in July or whatever, you know, for the, the ESPN series. Um, and of late, there's been more competitive fights and whatnot. But um, I was actually very impressed from what I saw out of, uh, out of Charlo. Uh, 219 to 180 was the the landing advantage. He landed 35% of his shots to 26. The jab, 85 to 17. Both pretty active. 629 for Charlo, 681. And 26% is still good. I mean, he de- like, Derevchenko fought a good fight. They combined for like over 1,300 punches. Um, and like I said, it wasn't like where they're throwing 100 punches around, right? But when they land, you knew they land. You know, it was like one of those, uh, one of those fights. It was a really good fight. Um, some people are now taking Charlo's win and putting him, you know, top five pound for pound, or you know, he can wash Golovkin easy, um, or he could beat Canelo. You know, and I'm not saying he could, you know, theoretically beat him, but. Um, I just think it's Maul's best performance as a pro. I mean, he put it all together. He did exactly what a lot of people thought he may not be able to do. Not just not win the fight, but do it in what, you know, in the fashion he did it. So I, kudos to, to, to Maul. Um, like I said, I just thought to start real good with the, the jab and whatnot. And like I said, the, the mixture, you know, a lot of people, not a lot of people, I shouldn't say that, but I saw a fair, I saw a couple of YouTubers say this, and I saw this uh, posted a lot on Twitter that he was just, uh, uh, he didn't show anything on offense. He just had his jab. And I thought, really? So, so there was no left hook, a lead, or counter. He was countering and leading with it. He was doing it off his jab. He mixed in the uppercut throughout the fight, and then he started landing right hands. That's not even talking about what he did to the body. So, to me, like I said, you're either overdoing it with Charlo now, some of, the, you know, some of these folks are, or you're just totally saying, I didn't, I didn't think shit. Of, you know, Derevchenko ain't shit, you know. 
But then when you watch him fight Golovkin, who now to most people, because he had some tough fights, he's completely washed now. He's like a shell of himself. Some of these same people that say that, a couple of fights ago for Golovkin, we're, we're putting him up, leveling him up with Hagler and, and, and you know, and B-Hop and stuff like that. So I'm more even keeled. I'm not going to sit here and say Derevinchenko's just not much, you know. I think that's just an ignorant statement. Um, he's a pretty damn good fighter, dude. And he clearly hurt Jacobs and for sure Golovkin a few more times than he did Charlo. Uh, did Charlo knock Derevinchenko down? No, he didn't. He didn't. Um, did he hurt him? It seemed like. It seemed like both of them were a little buzzed in the fight, like I mentioned. But um, I just think, you know, it was just a great performance by Maul. Like, he put it all together. Remember, his run at 160, you only have one good win before this. But remember, he was that raw guy that took a while to develop in general, and he overachieved against Trout. A lot of people thought he was going to lose that fight. Even the J-Rock stuff, that was, you know, on paper like a 50-50 fight. So, to me, I liked what I saw. Um, I think he's right up there with anybody in that division. I don't really think Canelo's at 160 anymore. I do favor Canelo in the fight. And I don't think Jacobs at 160 any longer either. But I, I, I think he can beat Jacobs. Um, I think he can beat Golovkin, but it would be a hell of a fight. Um, and, and same with Jacobs, too. Andre, stylistically, that's a really interesting fight. I think you could, you know, on both sides, you could kind of favor both sides stylistically-wise. Um, but a more under control, responsible, still trying to knock your head off, but with some fundamentally sound offense and even defense, by the way, he was moving. I didn't even mention that. He was moving his upper body pretty well in there. A couple of times when it was on the inside, he wasn't able to counter off it as much, but that's kind of what Darabinchenko brings. Um, But yeah, I'm not going to sit here and shortchange him. I'm also not going to say, oh, he's top five pound for pound, you know? This was a very solid win. For Derevinchenko, I think he should take a little time off. He's been in some tough fights now in a row, and uh, especially back-to-back. And even that Cloquet fight, um, he won it, but he did take some punishment in that too. That's kind of his style, right? But I heard that he's thinking about going to 54, and I think that would be phenomenal and to bring that experience and, you know, if you're on the right side of the street there at 54 as well, being tied to Heyman. So I think that's a pretty big deal, actually, um, for him. Uh, just trying to maybe get a, a get-back win, you know, make sure you can make the weight and feel good, and then go for something. You know what I mean? I think that's a, that would be a really, really good thing. But, yeah, Charlo um, – you know, we do have a little minor news with Canelo. It's nothing official by any stretch. Um, so that obviously plays into some of this Charlo stuff, the Canelo stuff, obviously. But I just said obviously a bunch of times in a row there. Did you hear that? Um, obviously. What was I saying, though? Oh, Eubank Jr. Eubank, you know, Eubank Jr. at 160 is better than at 168, I'll say. He actually looked 
much better in the second half against Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, he fought a mediocre fight, uh, that's for sure, against uh, Groves. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's an interesting fight, man. I think that's an interesting fight. It's pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. And then we'll kind of see how it goes. Um, we'll see if Andre, you know, I don't know. A lot of this is just Canelo, you know. A lot of it's just Canelo because if Canelo does take this new offer, you know, for his guarantee on his contract – and gets a fight this fall, then maybe next May, knock on wood, uh, they can have fans, a full, you know, arena, hopefully, and could do Canelo and Golovkin and get their wish to zone, right? Um, If that doesn't happen, then it kind of throws it all in the mix. And you got to figure, what are they going to do with Golovkin if Canelo doesn't take this deal, this new uh, offer, you know? Anyway, um, let's see here. So let's move on to the main event, Charlo Rosario. Uh, Charlo landed uh, like a like a, like a left hand, but it was like on the top, it was on the back of the head. It was a really weird off-balance shot. Uh, I think it was like not much in, like a minute in, 55 seconds in. And it was a weird knockdown. It was a knockdown because he was off balance. It knocked him off balance, and then he kind of just fell. A lot of people were just looking at the shot that he missed him with. and like, see, he didn't hit him. Did you see him get hit in the back of the head, though? It was like Rosario was kind of moving, and he was a moving target. So Charlo hit him there, and uh, whatever, you know. Um but I did – Charlo actually landed his jab okay, landed some hooks to the body, left hooks to the body, um, some late body work by Rosario. He made, he made sure to get up and say, I'm fine. And this is where I'm, I'm kind of thrown off too because I've only heard like one or two folks on podcasts and, and whatnot, uh, YouTube and whatever, like that think this was an, actually a competitive fight. And I'm in that, I'm in that boat because it was like I, I don't understand. Like, so you, you thought this is just a one-sided walkthrough? So what happened in the second, third, and fourth? Where where was Charlo walking through him or, or not even getting hit? I mean, he was getting hit. First of all, both of them kind of were bombs away um, at times uh, in the second round. Um, and Charlo probably landed the better shots, but the body work and just being more active and closing the round off well, I gave it to Rosario. Um, once again, Charlo kind of had his jab going early, but he wasn't setting up his punches. You could kind of tell his game plan was just, I'm going to land a big shot. I'll throw a jab and move, but that's about it. The better shot, some of them strayed low by Rosario. I gave him the third. I gave him the fourth as well. He was working the body. He started landing right hands up top. He was busier. And he started also landing, like I said, to the body, but also on his hip. So I liked what Rosario was doing in the second, third, and fourth for me. Because 
from what I was seeing, because if you're going to slow down a guy, that's how you do it. You rough him up. You try to make it dirty. You try to get close to the guy and not be at the end of Charlo's punches. And so to me, I'm looking at, I'm not saying he was getting walked down because we've seen Charlo on the move, but he wasn't snapping his jab off like repeatedly, double jabs or nothing like that. And even his uh, corner said, hey, stop walking right into Rosario's big power punch, which I noticed he did that. So I, I got to say, I had Rosario up after four rounds, even with that knockdown. And so to me, I'm looking at it like I can't really tell if, you know, this, this style of come forwards messing with him or if he is just settling to try to let, you know, land that big, big shot or something. Um, but then in the fifth and sixth round, you could see Charlo, he started finding a home with those right hands, really, really hard right hands. And I thought he just finished better in the fifth, but the jab and left hooks to the body slash hip um, was pretty good in the fifth round by Rosario. Obviously, sixth round, Charlo got off to a good start. There was a low blow by Rosario. They, they kind of broke it for a little bit. Um, and then the last second of the round, two seconds of the round, a left hook followed up by like a right hand knocked him down. And at that point, he was in trouble. His legs were not there. And I was a little surprised that Jermel didn't kind of check his temperature at the beginning of that round. Like, are you – are you okay? I'm going to, you know, try to land something big while he was still hurt because when he went to the, um, to the corner, he was, in, he was in big trouble. And he even said he never recouped after that. And there's this video going around of him in the corner and, or yeah, him in the corner and, and how his trainer or one of his cornermen kind of have his head and they kind of lets it go and his head kind of slumps real quick and he wakes up. It was like he was just out of it. And so I, I assume that was part of it um, because he was hurt. I mean, you give Charlo, I don't know, 10 seconds isn't much, but it didn't seem like it was going to take much to take Rosario up after that time. And credit to him because he played it pretty well in the seventh round, going right to him, cutting that gap so he couldn't be at the end of those punches. And I thought he had a decent seventh round. I was like, what, what's going on, Charlo? What did you, so, so that to me, that kind of cued in that Rosario could punch really hard. The whole fight, it seemed like he was being careful and he was just trying to really set up a big shot and not set it up like in the fundamental way. Although he did land, you know, a decent jab. I'm not saying that he had some pretty good movement, but, um, Obviously, Mel has a lot of uh, a lot of confidence in his power shots, and why wouldn't you? You know, at this point, right? In some of his biggest fights, um, he scored knockouts. So, and two of them have been like, whoa, you know, the Lubin one caught us all off guard, and then this one, you know, there's also a video going around that is helpful when you see this, or when you hear it, really. So Charlo kind of, this is real early in the eighth round, he, he lands a shot and then he lands that jab to the stomach. And you can hear there's literally a different tone to that thump. And it landed harder than people thought.
it was right on the belt, so it could have had him right under the top of the groin area. Some people speculated, which I don't think this is way off, that maybe Rosario was trying to catch his breath at that time. He got caught there. Or he just got the, the wind knocked out of him, however. You know, and anybody that's played contact sports or even like, well, I think, you know, I mean, BMX and skateboarding are contact sports. Maybe not you're making contact, you know, with another human being, but you're making it with structures, right, in the, in the ground. Um, if anyone, if that's happened to anyone where you just you get hit in your stomach, in your chest, and you just you can't breathe, you're, you're looking for your breath, you're, you're, you're it's just a weird feeling. You get the wind knocked out of you. Um, and that's what it looked like. That's what it appeared. Because Rosario was hurt. He was like really looking for air. Was like he was confused on what was going on. And it was a little scary there for a second when you first saw Because you're like, are you, are you okay? You know? And, and he did say he was, uh, he was still really, really dizzy after the fight. And he was vomiting later. So he did go to the hospital. He, he was okay. It was just a freak shot. And not really freak if you see how hurt he was. And then you see that clip, not just of the punch making the, the extra thump, but like that noise it made, that extra tone, that deeper tone. You can tell it was a, a legit punch. Everyone knew it was a legit punch, but you know what I mean. The, the jab didn't look like crazy powerful, you know. Um and someone who had this, someone had a clip of a variety of uh, power or knockouts to the body, even this year, but just in general. And there was two jab, uh, jabs to the stomach, like a stab jab, right, that caused knockouts. One of them was it Morales, and one of them looked even less what Charlo did. And I had kind of forgotten about that. Um, but, yeah, anyway um, – I just don't listen. If he was acting, we should give him the Academy Award. We should give him an Oscar because this dude—I don't think he's acting. I really don't think he was acting. A lot of people, oh, that's a fake. Oh, you know, I don't see it, man. I just don't see it. Um, but overall, you know, Rosario was more active. He landed uh, 85 to 64. He threw 37 or three. Uh, what did he throw? 367 to 244. Um, Charlo was a little more accurate and a little more powerful, actually, right? So, um, you know, now he is the lineal titleist. Um, the Harrison three fight is out there. If Castaño comes to his next fight against Teixeira, that fight's there. Arislandi Lara, uh, Jared Hurd. Uh, J-Rock, I mean, there's so many fights for him at 154. He can really add to his legacy. He really can. And uh, it's fun to see a fighter change his style and then have success with it. It's also funny to see people worried about Jermel's flaws as a fighter because a good chunk of these people that now bring it up are the ones that we're like dogging him when he was just a boxer on the outside playing it safe, you know? Um, so he, he is flawed, but it is funny how certain fighters can get hit a bunch 
and just score a knockout and be in an action fight, and they just love them for that. But certain fighters can't, and I think we all know why that is. But it's, I don't know. But he he is flawed because his come forward game is much better than it was. He's taken leaps and bounds since that Jackson fight back in 2016 when he won the, the, the title or whatever, right? But he was down on the cards. He needed a knockout. And I remember, I mentioned this a couple of times, I remember Mel talking, hey, you know, like, I'm going to go for the knockout. Like, I need to, it was kind of like he felt the pressure of people saying he's boring and this, that, and the other. And since that time, you know, he's been knocking dudes out. He's been sitting down in his punches. And just the game plan with the high guard, um, usually coming forward, he didn't do that a ton because he had a guy to come forward, you know, with. I did think that he was going to stop him at some point, though. Rosario has a good amount of power, but he does get clipped fairly, you know, significantly in fights, if you've ever watched him fight. He fought on FS1 like three or four times, um, and so you can kind of see that, uh, you know, prior to this, he, he didn't really need, uh, he didn't really need anybody to tell you that part, but overall, Rosario... Uh, just go, I guess, just go back to the drawing board, right? I mean, you can't just throw this guy out. Um, I think we've learned that with this 154-pound division, right? Um, it's just a great division. And all those guys I mentioned, Castaño, Lara, Hurd, you know, they could, they have a chance to beat. I mean, Castaño, because he's young, could be the best of a whole bunch. And I know there's there's guys coming up. We'll see, you know. We'll see where they they land or whatever, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, what fights next. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't complain about the Harrison fight. You know, I'd like to, I'd like for Harrison to be able to have a fight to kind of get back. But if he doesn't want to, then then that's a little different. But I'd like for him to be able to get a fight back. Maybe even put him on the co-feature you know, on Fox or something and have Charlo in there with somebody. I don't know. Um, obviously, Erickson Lubin looms um, as a mandatory. It hasn't been called yet, though. It was a title eliminator. Um, but the mandatories have to actually get called, and then you have a time frame when you have to satisfy that mandatory. So, And, you know, I mentioned this last week. Now that you have the belts, I know it's not easy just to drop one. It's just like, oh, screw it, you know. But and maybe they can do some step-aside money, you know, and, and have them fight a herd or have them fight somebody Lubin I'm speaking of to get that big, that top-level win at the weight class. And then maybe, you know, they can work the Charlo rematch. It's just It's a tough sell based off Lubin still doesn't have a top-tier win. And, you know, he's building them back, himself back up. So I'm not, like, ripping him for not having one. He actually looked pretty decent, um, you know, building himself back. But I just don't want to see that next. I think it's a legit fight at some point. I just think it would – I think it would be helpful for, for Lubin, too. I think it would be helpful for, for Lubin um, because it still can be explosive. I mean, 
we'll see where Lubin goes and see how this all plays out. But um, I just hope that I got to admit, just like pretty much everybody else out there, unless you're just in the Erickson Lubin camp or something, it's not that you're just, you can't wait to get back to that fight. You know what I mean? So um, we'll see. But either way, 154 has just been a gift that keeps on giving. A lot of fun, fun fights. A lot of upsets. A lot of cool knockouts. Um, And like I said, it started back in like 2016. You had Harrison's been in a couple of different, you know, fun fights. Um, Even though he got stopped. I mean, he was up against Willie Nelson. got stopped. He was up against Hurd. I think it was the co-feature on Fox to a Wilder fight. Ended up getting stopped. That was a really fun fight. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Um, but yeah, there was, uh, as far as the card goes, you know, I got my bang for my buck. So I don't really know, you know, if that, if that was an issue out there or what from people, but I, I got my bang for a buck. I mean, I heard people talking about oh, the rest of the cards are mismatches. So Figueroa and Vasquez, the first six rounds is a mismatch. Really? Did you watch the fight? Just You can't judge the fight, though, how the last three rounds go. I mean, you, you thought that would probably happen, right? Figueroa would wear down Vasquez. That's kind of what he needs to do to win the fight and win most fights, right? Mind you, Figueroa was coming off a draw with Seha, who's not this world beater at this point in his career. Now, he's dangerous, obviously, but... Um, and then the Piano-Roman, so that was a mismatch, too? That was a mismatch. Like, I already dumped on the Neri fight. That's easy to do, right? I think most of that had to do with Neri, right? Because he was trying this new style out, but it was boring, and he wasn't really doing much with it. And I don't really see him. If he fights that way, I don't know how successful he'll be at 122. Maybe the the weight's just not, or, you know, the, the weight's a little too much for his power. I, I don't know what it is, but... I kind of go back to your bang for your buck comparatively to the last 10 years. That's how I look at every pay-per-view. I don't judge who's doing it. I just judge what fights are on it. And the PBC uh, pay-per-view so far, if you, you know, Spence Garcia, that pay-per-view undercard was just bad. It was one-sided. That was bad. Um, and then the dual thing they did with ESPN and, you know, Fox, that undercard was real mediocre, but to be honest with you, with the guarantees on the top of the card, you know, and the amount of marketing money, I wasn't expecting some kind of great card. But other than that, if you look at the Pacquiao Thurman card, entertaining, the Spence Porter, very entertaining, the Wilder Ortiz, very entertaining, this one, very entertaining. So it all goes back to if you were, you know, and I'm talking mostly media, part-time media, some fans, but fans are going to be fans. But fans get influenced off the media, not just solely, but they do. And it's clear as day when you see it on Twitter. But um, like I said, if you're a person who says, I got a fire stick, I stream everything. I don't care who it is, what it is. I don't pay for pay-per-view. God bless you. You're consistent. But it's the other ones that weren't, you know, that are dog and good pay-per-views. 
when you, you know, it used to be just dog and shitty. So what would you rather have, a, a, a name like Canelo against Chavez or Canelo against Liam Smith or two top-level fights in their division? What would you rather have? I know that whole, and I'm not just picking on Canelo, Pacquiao and, and Mayweather had some pay-per-views, you know, that were overrated to Guerrero, Berto, yada, yada, yada. But my point is, I understand the whole, well, he's not a pay-per-view fighter. Okay, but you were paying for that mediocre mismatch, weren't you? So that's okay because, Floyd, why didn't you just, I'm not saying stream, but why didn't you just stream that one? It's just, it's just weird. And not only that, but the amount of complaints about pay-per-view when there's so many streams available, it's just, it's just dumbfounded to me. People will just, I mean, some people complain regardless, but the smear campaign was in full, full board. We'll talk about that. I got some audio from Mannix's um, show that is just like, how did you go from, they're talking about J-Rock was washed going into the Rosario fight. How, how, how could you be washed when you just had your biggest fight? and you won, you had your best victory of your career, and you're pondering, you're wondering. That's what the question was. Well, it was more of J-Rock being washed rather than Rosario being elite. No one, who said anything about Rosario being elite? I didn't hear one person say that, not even his camp. I mean, maybe somewhere in there, but, you know, I don't know, it's his camp. Um, but to, to, to shape to shape the, the event, a lineal title, mind you, um, to shape it like that, you know, I, I can't tell which one it is. Is Rosario elite? No, we know that. It's obviously somewhere in the middle. But to sit there and say, I mean, was it just J-Rock washed? How in the fuck can you be washed when you get, like I said, when you came off your biggest victory? I mean, obviously... The guy works for a competitor. And uh, you can just say, yeah, they're okay. I don't think the Charlos, I don't think this is going to sell, so therefore it shouldn't be on pay-per-view. Okay, cool, or, or whatever. But And then the funny thing is he shapes it like, but it's going to be a hell of a fight. Well, which one? Hold on. How's it going to be a hell of a fight? You got one? Uh, uh, sorry, it's a little rant. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up for a little bit. We'll save that audio for um, and then uh, Breedis Dorticos, 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 you hear it all sorts of ways over the last couple of years. Um, somebody had it a draw, which I don't agree with, but 117, 111, I think, were the other two scorecards. I did give Dorticos the first round. He was, well, they're both kind of jabbing, but the left hook and the right hand, I thought, was kind of key. Then I didn't give Dorticos a round to the fifth round. Uh, the jab, the short hooks. And then a key thing was a clinch or a clinch and turn, um, which I thought was real key by Breedis. Um, he was landing some clean shots. He was, like like I said, swinging, kind of swinging out of danger. Um, I liked what I saw. Let's just put it that way. I liked what I saw. Then I think right hand, the, the right hand that um, Dorticos landed in the fifth round may have been his best shot. Um, and I think that's why I gave him that round. Um, 
did I give him another round? I gave the sixth and seventh to Breedis. Uh, landed flush uppercuts, flush right hands as well. Just fighting at a measured pace. He'd make sure you saw his land, and he'd jab well and all that, but he clinched when it got close. Um, so, yeah, Dortico's went to the body and head more um, uh, with the right hand, I believe. It was a close round, but I gave him the eighth as well. Um, but pretty much after that, it was all, you know, some movement, nice little jab, nice little clinch. I thought it was just a really good performance by Breedis. So I had him win an eight to four. Thought it was a pretty clean win. And uh, where does Breedis go from here? Should he keep dominating a division or should he go up? Uh, obviously, the money tells you to go up. <laughs> but I'm not really, I don't know. I, I don't know how he'll do up there. Let's put it that way. But either way, um, you know, back-to-back tournaments for him. That's been huge for him, money-wise, everything-wise. So that's that's a good look. He's a solid fighter. He's a solid fighter, but I just don't know what. I mean, if it's any old heavyweight fight, that's different, right? But I don't know exactly what he has uh, or he's going to have, you know. So we'll see. Um, let's see. So there was a Wednesday show. I did this show on Tuesday last week. Nestor Bravo got a win, um, on FS1. He was, uh, basically he was just jabbing and, you know, some right crosses, a few straight right hands. He was basically winning all of the rounds for the most part. Um, I mean, there was a couple of competitors. Rounds you could give, uh, you know, um, who the hell was it? Uh, I forgot who the hell the guy's name was, but Bravo won. Um, oh, Gallos. Um, he actually did some body work with his right hand. You know, he, he did okay. He did okay. The ref was like warning, though. Holding, holding, holding. The ref was, Jack Reese was just all over it. The Bravo actually did have two points deducted. I almost forgot about that. But it was a pretty slow pace, stick and move type thing. Two judges had it 96 92, uh, 97 91. Um, so, yeah, he won. But also, what I wanted to talk about um, on that card was uh, a guy who really broke out on the card, Pasillas. Uh, like Pasillas. Um, Dick, that dude looks super good. He was going against um, Incarcion, and he looked really good. Dick was – he had quick hands, the right hands, you know, to the hook – or to the head and body, right hooks, I should say. Um, I mean, to me, it just – he just had that quick pivot. He was in and out. He was mixing up his punches, and he scored – I think it was a six-round TKO um, – a series of left hands, uh, mostly anyway, for another knockdown. Um, he was just laying it on in Carcion. I mean, this dude, you know, flush jabs, right hooks, hurt him. I mean, it was it was vicious, dude. It was a good ass performance by Vic. And I was thinking, you know, he had some management issues. I guess they're all cool now. Um, and he he was. I was thinking, man, can this guy go to 122? 
And sure enough, in the interview right after, he's like, yep, I'm going to 122. I was like, yes, he heard me. No, but uh, Goosen was like, where, you know, where has this guy been all my life? You know, as far as the, as a prospect kind of breaking out. It wasn't like he beat a guy who everybody knows or anything like that, but it was just that eye test. And now for Vic to be at 122 as well, I mean, I don't know how many, you know, I mean, dude, this 54, 147, 154, 122 now, um, it's just popping off for PBC. And, and it's really going to, the next couple of years, you know how we got the flyweight wars um, a chunk of years ago now, and it lasted about three, four years? We're going to get that 122 wars, dude, because, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of fights to be had at that division. I mean, a ton. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so, yeah, uh, that about wraps up. Um, that, that about wraps it up. Um, as far as the recap goes, sorry, I'm getting a bunch of weird texts. Um, gosh, what the hell? Okay. I, I, okay, so as far as this weekend, there is there is some fights going on. Uh, Branchick and Zapata, I think uh, I think that uh, is you know, the, the headliner, I guess you could say. Well, it is for ESPN Plus, but just in general. All right. Um, sorry, I got a little, uh, got a little sidetracked there. Um, what was I saying? Okay, yeah. So, um, Zepada, um, you know, had that great fight probably about a year and a half ago. It was in February 2019 against um, Jose Ramirez. The, the majority decision, really good fight. I had it 7-5 to five, um, for Ramirez, but that was a damn good fight. Um, and he, he lost to Terry Flanagan. Um, but, you know, he's faced some, some decent fighters, um, you know, on the way up anyway. I remember that Abner Mar or not Abner Maros, uh, Abner Lopez. I remember that uh, fight as a veteran. Um, but really, that Jose Pedraza fight that he uh, managed to close out the year with last year, and he just fought this summer. Um, Don, what the hell is that guy's name? It's like Kendo was his first name. Um, so I, I favor him in this fight. I wonder what the odds are. Actually, let me check. Ivan Branchik is—he's a good fighter. You know what I mean? He's—he's—he's he's, he's pretty durable fighter. He lost to Josh Taylor, um, and that is his only loss. Uh, what's his best? You know, Anthony Gidget was a good performance. Abel Romas was a good performance from him. He beat—he uh, beat like an unbeaten prospect a, a few years back, but you know. He, He's a pretty good fighter. I, I guess I could say it like that. Uh, he's got some power. He does kind of uh, put a lot into his punches to the point where, I don't know, sometimes his out, out, uh, out, 
it is. Oh, here we go. Sometimes his output is like really impressive, but then it seems like he gets worn down a little bit from putting that out. So here it is. Uh, Zapata is a plus 135. And uh, Branchik is a minus 165. So he is the favorite. Uh, Branchik is. I think Zapata is going to beat him. I liked what I saw against Ramirez. I liked what I saw also, like I said, in that Pedraza fight. Obviously, two different styles. Well, you know, Branchik is a lot closer to uh, Ramirez as far as to come forward and stuff. Uh, not as much power as Ramirez. Um, I just think it's a good fight. I see plus 100 and minus 139. I'm bet 365. So it's uh, like a pick'em type fight. So that's always nice. Also, James uh, Dickens and Ryan Walsh is like a 50-50. I'm hearing a lot about, along with uh, Liam Conroy. He's fighting, uh, is, it, is it Michael? Sergey? Michael, that's a minus 140 for Conroy. Um, and those are those are UK fights. So I am going to go with that minor upset there. Um, I think he'll, I think he'll, uh, I think he'll win this fight. I think he'll, I think he'll beat, uh, uh, Yvonne Branch. I think he will. I think he'll just land the better shots. Um, you know, like when they exchange, I think he'll be a little bit tighter of a puncher. I think he can keep his work rate throughout, um, not that Branch doesn't, but like I said, he just throws so many shots hard that it seems like it, it fades him a little bit as the fight goes on. But um, I do favor him. Gabriel Flores Jr. is back as well, so it's always fun to watch a prospect develop. So that will be kind of interesting. Um, and then Fox Sports uh, 1, FS1. Paul Kroll is going against Luke uh, Santa Maria. That's a that's an interesting fight right there. Um, the uh, Brente brothers are in action too on that card, and then Mark uh, Maxoil or something like that. He's fighting on the uh, what is it? Her, Hermisio, Hermisio, something like that. It's a ten rounder. Actually, let me check real quick. It's a ten rounder featherweight. So. It's one of those cards that, you know, I didn't think a whole lot of like, oh, you know, I'm just going to watch it like I do Showbox in a sense last week, that Wednesday show, and we got Vic out of it. You know what I mean? So um, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I think that's going to be – I think that'll be an interesting fight. Uh, What else we got? Telemundo is going to be on Friday night. That's always worth it. And September 30th, so tomorrow – is that uh, ESPN Plus card? I should say that with the uh, that's where the uh, the golden golden contract or whatever thing. So that's uh, so that's that. That is that. Um. Otherwise, you know, not like the busiest weekend by any stretch, but I wouldn't go and call it a crappy weekend either, right? Um. As far as news goes. Uh, by the way, there's a, a little over, or a little under two minutes left of the live stream. Six four six three eight one four nine nine zero is the number to call. That's six four six three eight one four nine nine zero. 
seconds. Um, I see a couple of people got in here in the last little bit. If you want to press one, join in. Cool. If not, that's cool, too. Um, what else we got here? All right. So, you know, McGregor tweeted basically that it's on. Me and Pacquiao, we're fighting. Um, which was kind of like, not not a shocker. I wouldn't call it a shocker. You know what I mean? That 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 wouldn't surprise me. I, I did kind of feel like um, it was going to be uh, Mikey for a long time, and now Mikey's saying uh, that I'm next. Actually, this is what he said on Fight Height. He said I'm confident his next fight is Pacquiao, but Pacquiao's next fight is not McGregor. Before that, Pacquiao's mine, and that's 100. percent so, so Mikey and then McGregor, that's what Mikey's saying. Uh, so, and this is what the fight that we all kind of thought was going to happen, him and Mikey. It seemed like that's where we were going. It seemed like it was going to be overseas. Uh, but, um, you know, you don't know until it actually gets announced. But I'm trying to find the tweet. But, yeah, what's his toes? McGregor said, you know, it's on and popping, basically. <laughs> like, that's who I'm fighting next. And like Mikey says, maybe, you know, maybe it is. <laughs> Here's what he said. Anyway, all water to the bridge. Who gives a fuck? I'm boxing Manny Pacquiao next in the Middle East. That, that's what he, that's what he tweeted. Okay. So, um, yeah. Kind of, uh, you know, kind of interesting there. Uh, the Michael... Pacquiao, that's what they should call it, Pacquiao. Um, the Pacquiao fight in Garcia seems to be a better matchup for Pacquiao than all the rest, you know, obviously, but it also seems like for Mikey, power-wise, obviously, Manny still has that, but, you know, I, I think it's a somewhat winnable fight for uh, Garcia style-wise. I said that before I saw, well, even in the Spence fight, after that, I thought, okay, but then I saw him against Jesse Vargas, too, which is obviously a level down from Spence, and in a level below, obviously, Pacquiao, and he won it cleanly, but he took a lot of shots, considering. So, I don't know. I don't know if that's just some kind of done deal there, you know what I mean? But, uh... You know, there is there is talk about it, so we should uh, at least you know, bring it up there. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where that's going to lead or whatever. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I guess I'm not too, too pumped about it. But I'm not like, like if it's on the zone or whatever, that's cool. Or good fight for, I, I, I think stylistically, like I said, that, that Mikey can actually hang with Pacquiao uh, more than, more than others. So McGregor says he's next. Mikey says not so fast. A um, couple of news items. We'll get to a little bit of boxing Twitter, too. I'll have those audio clips up with Eddie Hearn and then Chris Mannix as well. The Eddie Hearn thing is more of the Dillian White scenario um, with him coming back so quick after being knocked out like that. He, uh, I don't know, he, he's downplaying the situation with crazy. I'm not saying something's going to happen. We've seen a lot in boxing, but you don't have to, I don't know. 
It's just there's some things it's like, wow, man. Um, but Usyk and Chisora is a done deal, I believe, for October 31st. Um, so, that, I, you know, that fight, it seems like, you know, it's been made for a long time. It just hasn't been able to get over the hump, but obviously not just the pandemic, but some injuries on Usyk as well. Um, stop that, but uh, I still think that for what it represents, it's a good fight for Usyk. You know, his last fight, really, the weight didn't look good. He didn't look good. I'm not saying he looked garbage, but he didn't really look good. Not that I expected him in his first heavyweight fight to look great, you know, putting on that weight, and maybe, maybe he's had time to adjust, but if he's been hurt, you know, you're always seeing him being active, but how long was he out for being hurt? You know what I mean? I don't know. I know it was in camp, I believe, too, when he got hurt. So um, I like the fight because it just gives you a good look at where he is, basically. You know what I mean? So, and, I, and he needs that before you go step in with some giant like Joshua or Fury or whatever. Um, um, a couple of things here. We know that Canelo and DeZone and Oscar – um, are trying to mend some things over there, right? It does sound like they're trying to they're they're basically kind of in arbitration. Uh, there is a renegotiated re- deal that's worth at least upwards of twenty million. I think Dan Raphael and Cop said that, meaning you can you know obviously make more. But that's the guaranteed level. Instead of 35, it's 20. Now, maybe that's 20 and he gets 15 and Golden Boy gets five. I don't, I don't know. Like the other 35, 40, I'm assuming that's not the case, but who knows. Um, so they, the offer's on the table. And yesterday was the deadline for to refile that for Canelo, to refile that, uh, that lawsuit. Um, and this is from Boxing Esquire. He said, check the Central District of uh, California federal court docket and didn't see any amendment complaint, amended complaint filed by Canelo. Don't know if they got an extension or refiling in state court, which could be. Hopefully things are being worked out, you know, so they can get it figured out. That's what uh, Boxing Esquire. Now here, this is what he followed up with. A little birdie just told me it's still in mediation. If, the, if that's the case, I'm sure the court is aware, and most likely everything is stayed pending the outcome. Everything is stayed pending the outcome. So, um, and there was another one that said the same thing, that, you know, he looked, and it appears that there's no filed legal dispute, because like you said, though, you know, it could be in state. It could be that they're, they're going to have a settlement. It could be that this new 20 mill does the trick. You know what I mean? It totally could. So we'll see. We'll just kind of keep you posted. Don't really know exactly how that's going to go. Um, here's uh, from Lance Pugmire. Sergey Devonchenko manager Keith Conley tells me the plan is to move the three-time beat middleweight challenger to the stack 154-pound division, which I'm very, very happy. Very happy. Um, so 
let's get to some of those clips here, shall we? Let's get to a clip here. Um, we'll start with the Mannix. Um, this is their hyping or previewing. Uh, him and Charlo kind of got into it later. And uh, it was over, like, Canelo and stuff like that. And and the Andre fight, of course, with Mannix, right? But it seemed like Jamal, I'm not going to play this, but that, that was later in the show. And they got into an argument or whatever. And, and the way Charlo put it was like, dude, you're throwing out numbers that are not true. And this is something that I did point out. Um, with Eddie Hearn, when he did show us these emails, he did put his thumb right on the number. So I always, because then all of a sudden he's like, well, it's about seven. We don't know if it's six. We don't know if it's, you know, so I always wondered exactly, not to say that I don't think he could have taken the fight and made a lot of money. Because if you remember correctly, I did say he should do that. But, um, but with the Canelo fight, from what I heard, and this wasn't a recent offer. It wasn't like part of the Andre time frame, you know what I mean? Um, because uh, by that time, you know, obviously they were in some issues going on, uh, Canelo and, and whatnot. But I had always heard that that was a mu- multiple fight deal um, from a couple of different sources. But um, then Oscar came out and said, yeah, I offered him a bunch of money. 10 or 10 or 12 million, but was that for a three fight or four fight deal or was that for one off? I can't really trust Oscar right now. So it's tough to say, but either way, I've already given my take on that. I just wanted to add that uh, to what I'm saying here, but, um, you know, I don't know, man. just listen though, how they talk. And this is, this is somebody else than Mannix on his show. So I want to preference that. I won't, kill Mannix for this, but it's another disowned um, employee. So, but listen how they say that that they preview, and what do you think of Rosario as an opponent, okay? This this name in boxing as a result of that win, I mean, how dangerous a fight is this uh, for Jermel Charlo? It's a dangerous fight, but it's a strange one because Jason Rosario beat J-Rock was one of those things where you look at it as it was a J-Rock being completely washed up, more so than is J, you know, Jason Rosario an elite talent. Look, I was at Samstown when, when Rosario got knocked out by Nathaniel Gallimore, and I looked at him then because Jason... I mean, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? Rosario beat J-Rock was one of those things where you look at it as it was a J-Rock being completely washed up. Was it J-Rock... Being completely washed up, even though, like I said earlier in the pod, he was coming off his best win. More so than his, you know, Jason Rosario, an elite talent. Look, I was at Samstown when, when Rosario got knocked out by Nathaniel Gallimore. And I looked at him then and I was like, this guy's not going to be too, anything special. So I'm a little curious as to how good is he really. And Jamel. He's a little bit more beatable than his brother. And I think this is a trap fight for him. It's a fight that I think he's supposed to win. But I think the odds makers have, I uh, believe, Rosario is a plus 300. And I think that's a, a, a betting favorite in, in a lot of people's minds. I think it's a trap fight. He should win it, but it's a tough-ass fight. He should win it, but it's a tough-ass point, is it, dude? So you really are going to start off by saying, 
like pondering if J-Rock was washed prior to the fight starting, coming off his biggest win by far. I mean, if that doesn't have the zone employee written all over it, I don't know what it does. I mean, this it's one thing to sit there and talk positive about your platform. It's one thing to have a broadcast team that talks positive about their platform. We all know that's the thing, but to sit there and do that is just like, really? Here's some more. Wait, so... No, I'm not offended by it. There hasn't been a lot of pay-per-view. I understand that there's no fans there to buy tickets because of this is obvious Dan Raphael in manager. The fact that they don't allow any of, the, any of the spectators into the arena at this point. And so if there's been one pay-per-view since... Andreas, not to put words in your mouth, but I think I, I agree with you more than Dan here. Like, the free boxing we get is dog shit. Like, that's just what it is. It just is. Like, you get, like, A-side versus Z-side a lot of times. Like, I, I think... I mean, I think I'd be more, and I'm going to buy the pay-per-view. Like, I'm a boxing fan. Like, I'll, I'll watch it. I, I agree with you both of you saying about the Charlos. But you, I can understand a boxing fan's frustration because nothing good is for free. UFC at least puts on good stuff for free at times. At times. So there's nothing good on, on and when he means free, he just means, you know, basic, just in general, not like 100%. But he brought up those Fox cards, which I already went over. Many a times, uh, if you look at the six box cards, three of them were quality or good enough, right? Quality enough. The other three were showcase fights. You know, that's fine. I mean, we could talk about the other cards, but that's probably not what he wants to talk about. But, you know, the last, since 2015 and 2016 and really 17, 18, 19, the amount of quality fights whether it was top guys going at it, whether it was mid-level fights that produced a contender, you know, to become a champion or to become a, a quality opponent for a champion, whether it's just prospect versus prospect, whatever, right? Crossroad fights. We've gotten so many of them. And for him to say that what we get for free is just shit. And the only time they give us a good fight is um, it's just come on, dude. Like, this is this. I know you work for the zone. I, I realize that, but come on, dude. At least, at least be somewhat. I know life's not fair, okay? I know that. But, dude, I mean, really? Really? That's what you're going to go with? Like, I just, I can't get over the washed. You could you can say, well, this is the second time getting knocked out. You know, mentally, I don't think he's strong, whatever. You can say whatever you want now about J-Rock. I'm not saying, you know, dog the dude. I'm just saying, like, at least you can make that, you know, that that theory more true now that he's been knocked out again. <laughs> like, to sit there and say, I, I just couldn't tell, man. It just seemed like he was washed going into that fight. It's like, what are we seeing here? What are we seeing that makes you say he's washed already? It just—I don't—I don't. It's just—it's really bad, dude. It's really, really bad. I mean, this—this this is just garbage, dude. Just garbage. Um, but anyway, not really a surprise. Um, and we get it. He works in his own. We, we get all that. But here is Eddie Hearn on the topic of you know the fight being made prematurely 
clip from Boxing Social. Okay? Oops. I mean, I saw some comments on that. I mean, look at Dex Spellman. Right? If you want to start, you know, looking at fighters jumping back in. The, the, the damage he took in the Lyndon Arthur fight, and then what was it, six weeks after, seven weeks after? that, yeah, six, seven weeks. You want to put him in with Anthony Yard, and he gets beaten up and stopped. They're the kind of things you should be looking at, rather than... And I'm playing the part of this clip to let Eddie have both sides of the story, you know, give him a fair shot, because he did give an example recently of a fighter that got back in after taking a lot of pain. A guy getting a one-punch knockout, Getting up to his feet at eight or nine. And yeah, he was, he was concussed, for sure. I mean, getting up to his feet at eight or nine. That's what he's talking about, Dilly. That was medically, but, you know, or clinically, but I would say so. 13 weeks later, with five weeks rest before he even goes back into full camp. That's a big, big difference, you know? So I think that um, Dillian White has got an excellent medical team around him and people that care about him as well, by the way. But he felt that. I didn't want to wait. You know, we know we've got AJ in December. So you either go end of November or you wait till January or February. And no, I don't want to wait till January or February. I'm fit. I'm well. I'm strong. I know I should have won the fight. And November 21st, I will try and win that fight. And that's what I was kind of saying, that maybe it should be January or February, just give him a little extra time. And I can see his point of, well, the fighter wants to, but sometimes you can't let the fighter call the shots. Make a good comment about uh, make a good point about Dex Spellman. Obviously, I saw the same tweets from Paul Greaves. Uh, obviously, you being involved with Dillian White is the only reason I'm asking that and not mentioning, obviously, Dex Spellman and Lyndon Arthur, but you do make a good point. I do have to question you saying Dillian White was up on his feet at eight or nine, though. I, don't, I didn't see that. Watch, watch it back. I mean, he was certainly... The ref called it off at six or seven. And he says, watch it back. Do yourself a favor and watch it back. Eddie, like I said, just say he's going to be fine. But don't start making up shit. Something like that. And he was up shortly after. I mean, by the way, he wasn't on his feet, gang, but he was he was getting up, is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, what's the, the, ref didn't count, the ref didn't count to 10. Did he count at all? Yes. I think maybe to, like, oh, what was that? Yes, maybe. Well, no, it was quick. He didn't count. No, like, it was very quickly. But if you watch it back, I don't know the exact... It was very quickly, but he was getting up by seven or eight. He counted to five or six. But he wasn't like he was down on the floor for a long time. All right, listen, he was brutally knocked out. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm not saying he was asleep, but you know, he, he was up. Um, he, would, he, he could no way have continued. I'm not saying that they should have let him continue, but I'm saying it wasn't you know, when someone gets knocked out. So then he talks about value in that type of thing. You know, To me, it's like, come on, Eddie, just, just stop, dude. Like, just take the criticism and just take it on your chin and move on. Okay? Just just take it on, on, on the chin and move on. You know, it is what it is. I don't think it's weird for us to question it, but when you're talking about go watch the clip back, go watch the clip back to see him count to five or six. He didn't count. He was out of it. And when you're moving, like he said, well, he's moving around. You mean like flopping around like a fish out of water? Is that what you mean by movement? Like, he wasn't getting up, dude. That's just crazy. Um, it does sound like Devin Haney and Eurokius Gamboa have a deal in place, says the manager. Um, 
for November 7th. That's kind of been his working date. Um, this is his manager, uh, Jesse Rodriguez. He said, I spoke to Haney's father, and he assured me that everything is ready for November 7th. Yuri's always wanted to fight from the beginning. Other names emerge, but, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and I'm waiting for this to be announced officially before I have uh, things to say about uh, Gary Russell Jr. or whatever. He did put out a, a video saying, hey, you know, um, I'm going to send the sheet over, an offer sheet over, but then Haney's dad, was, uh, you know, Haney's dad was uh, saying we haven't gotten anything. Um, so, and he, he had it in his hand, Gary Russell, in the video. And he, he's like, I got, I got, this is, what, what's he say, such reading it and stuff? Like, All right, dude, but, you know, um, they sent you 1.5. Eddie Hearn has come out and said yes. I'm willing to make that fight. So it wasn't like they actually did have Eddie Hearn on board. I know the the first time it got turned down, the $2 million offer, I think. Um, but then I guess they were okay with this. Um, I mean, Devin Haney's father, Bill hasn't really handled it all that well because at times <laughs> he started, like, letting all this information out that was like, what are you doing? And that's when he actually hung up on that call and that interview. But – and saying, you know, help us, you know, you're our only fight, and just out of act of desperation, but then turning around saying, well, my main job is just to get Gary in the ring because we got more money on the backside. And I guess he meant for his next fight, but we now know Haney's been on a fight to fight. It's not like a guaranteed contract because he was talking about if we lose the fight, you know, we're, uh, we're in the unemployment line. So anyway, um, but I'm going to hold off because i got to make sure that it's actually going to happen, you know, I'm assuming. And I didn't think – the fact that they were pretty stuck to that November 7th date, I don't even know if that could have even happened then, you know what I mean? But um, because, Gary, you got to get an eight-piece tamp. I mean, that's pretty basic. Anyway, let's get to a little bit more boxing news slash boxing Twitter stuff. And obviously, if you're new to the uh, segment, the boxing Twitter segment, there's some really good stuff that I talk about once in a while as far as a tweet that just makes sense. But a lot of it's just goofy stuff where you're like, dude, this is hashtag boxing Twitter. And here's one. Kavaloskis, the mean machine, beats every PBC welterweight. Is a drunk who bounced his pavement, his body off the pavement 17 times going 260. He wasn't going 260 miles an hour. But anyway, he's done. Keith Thurman has looked like shit for like six years now. So he's looked like shit since 2014. Sean Porter can't even box well. He's a former high school football player pretending to be a boxer. Danny Garcia is a super lightweight who should have three losses on his record. Pacquiao has been shot since 2010-ish. Um and fighting in a higher Ugas is only highly rated because he got robbed in a fight with the crappy Sean Porter. Cavalaskis beats them all. PBC is great at making shit up and selling it as facts. <laughs> Come on, dude. Come on now. Um, same dude. Spencer or Spence praise for fighting Brooke Crawford trash considered for considering it. Makes sense. 
I guess this is because Kell Brook has won every fight in dominating fashion since he lost to Spence. That must be why Crawford is getting criticized. Um, I'm also guessing that Spence is getting credit for beating a smaller fighter in Brook. And this is what got my attention. Um, a smaller fight. So, so Kell Brook was a smaller fighter to Spence. Is that what we're going with? Come on, dude. We all know Kell Brook was a huge 147-pounder. Um, smaller fighter. Well, everyone recognized Crawford, you know, has an advantage in the fight because he's smaller. Or wait, being bigger is that advantage, isn't it? Advantage, isn't it? Maybe it's because Kell Brook has been knocked out at middleweights for his last few fights. Has been knocking out middleweights for his last few fights. Outperformed middleweights and undefeated prospects when he destroyed Rapachanka. This is what he said. Um, yeah, this guy's just kind of all over the place. But I'll say this. Um, I do like the Kell Brook fight for Crawford. The only thing that would stop me from saying, oh, dude, that's a great fight, is the obvious. He hasn't made the weight in over three years. One, Cal Brook, right? He hasn't made 147. And, you know, he said after that fight that he can't fight at 147 anymore. They're going up. And he hasn't fought really any competition for over three years, which does something to you. And... I just don't know if he can make the weight and be 100% Kell Brook. Because remember, Brook was like in Spence's face after a fight saying, meet me at 54 and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't know, dude. You know what I mean? I, I just, that's the only thing that's holding me back. Otherwise, I do like the fight. I do like the fight, actually. I'm not ripping the fight. Um, but to me, it just gets a little like, come on, dude. You know? Really, dude. Um, and here, yeah, actually here, this is my boxing notebook from today. This is Kevin Ioli. And it literally, it mentions Pacquiao McGregor, messages uh, Casimora, Miro. And it, it literally, it's a notebook that doesn't cover the Spence fight. And there's a, you know, pretty heavy rumor going around that some of these guys were mad they didn't get the press release. And that's why they didn't want to pump up this fight card, you know. Um, and I already told you, Iola, it took him like five days to even write an article about the event, you know. Um, and a, what was it, a day later, two days later, the Tyson Roy Jones stuff out, came out? He's like, someone showed me, oh, dude, what's her, or said something about Iola. And I went and checked, and it was literally like seven tweets. He, he went on. And I'm not saying he can't. Of course, you're going to there and just ignore it. And then he literally ignored it during the fight. Like, he was just doing UFC, that's it. And I don't know, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Then you have, like, Lance Pugelmeyer saying, you know, they were killing the price and killing this pay-per-view, him and Cobb. Then he has a thing in his uh, notebook, basically, his weekend saying, this shouldn't be the last Charlo doubleheader. They deserve to be on pay-per-view. Like, what's going on? I mean, I'm not saying he said that exact, you know, thing, but it was like, wait, now they should be? Which one is it? He's like, it doesn't matter. 
all the competition. And that's why I don't care about the pay-per-view numbers, to be honest with you, this time, because you're going again. I mean, the NFL just sucks up a lot of attention, but the most, the pop, most, one of the most popular, probably the most popular guy uh, in the world for sports is LeBron, or right there, right? I know there's probably a soccer player that's right with him, but, you know, if we're being honest. So LeBron, they, they have a closeout to go to the finals that night. You're going against baseball, which that got like 1.3 million or something. It usually goes well over two. That's down a million. Um, you can see like normal shows, like 48 hours, which is always there on the Saturday night when you check the, the boxing ratings, uh, when Fox does a show or, you know, in the past with NBC. That's usually like four, five million. That's at like 2.3 right now. Way down, way down. The last two Fox MLBs have been down a million. You know what I mean? So, and then you're going against the Stanley Cup. Then you're going against baseball. Like, it was probably just the most. And then you're going, you know, against a pay-per-view going on at the same time. You know, so it was, I just don't even care about the numbers, to be honest with you. I got my money for it. And if people want to rip the numbers when they come out, because I'd be, Pretty shocked if it went over 200,000, let's be honest. Um, I think they'd actually have a shot at that normally if it wasn't just this weekend. And remember, Dana White even came out and said that we, we purposely scheduled that pay-per-view right head-to-head. Like, people forget that that announcement was already announced for like three weeks before the UFC took a, the pay-per-view day, too. So... It's not like they plan to go head-to-head. And, and they, in college football, too, I forgot about that. Not as much, though, because that was a blowout that game. But still, it, it, it attracted like 3 million viewers at the start, you know. Um, but I don't know. It just I don't really care because this is probably, besides like doing a pay-per-view on the Super Bowl or something, or the night on a Saturday night of the NBA Finals Game 7 or something, there's not going to be too many more just busy nights like this. It's, it, there's so many things that that's why I just don't think. Now, they did a good job digitally. They had the, the twins in a variety of places for interviews. I thought that was good. And then they did run some commercials uh, on Sunday. I saw some on the NBA uh, games on TNT. And then uh, on CBS, they did run some during the NFL. So that's cool. And maybe that helped them, you know, but right now it, it just was doomed. I mean, I got, if some people are saying it's not even going to do 50,000. There's no way it could hit a hundred thousand. People are already saying it's going to be fake. If it's over a hundred thousand, I thought it'd go from 100,000 to 200,000, somewhere in there, 150, 130. But even if you, if you get to the number or close to the number that the love kid against Jacobs and, Golovkin against Lemieux and Kovalev Ward part two, one and two, I should say. And, you know, that type of thing. If you, because that was right in that, you know, Crawford con, you know, that 125 to 175 range. If you can somehow fall in that, I still think that's like not as bad as people think because the amount of competition on this weekend is just, there's no such thing as NBA playoffs in, you know, August September until this year, as we know, but to have it on the night that they clinch, you know, that, that's rough. Dude. That's rough. So I'm, I'm expecting that the numbers will be low. If they do, 
if they even do 175 or 200, like if they do 150, 150,000 to 200,000, I actually think that that's pretty good considering. I really do. I know that'd be the same numbers as the, you know, glove kid and all that, but I don't know, man. It'd be, it'd be surprising. Let's just put it that way. But either way, I got my bang for the buck out of it. And that's, I went in thinking that and I left thinking that. Okay. Epic scenario. This is boxing Twitter and news and stuff. Epic scenario for Terrence Crawford after retiring Kelbrook would be move up, become the direct WBO 154 mandatory, beat up the WBO golden boy and get undisputed with Charlo since PBC is freezing you out. Um, well, the PBC is not 100% freezing you out. They're freezing you out with Spence, but they're not freezing you out with the other guys. Um, one. Two, um, uh, Tashira has a fight against Castagna. That's all right. He has to do that to keep the belt. So, you know, that don't let facts get in the way. But, yeah, that that's what I thought of right away. Like, well, we don't even know if Tashira is going to have this belt. You know, we have no clue if Tashira is going to have that belt still. So, whatever. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, this shouldn't be the only Charlo Brothers pay-per-view. Saturday night with the cost, had an unfortunate assignment of going against the Lakers, blah, 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 all that stuff. That was what he said. Um, you know, this shouldn't be their last pay-per-view. That's what Lance said after just dogging the pay-per-view. Uh, boxing pundits have the weirdest life. They went from shitting on the idea of a Charlo fighting paper or Charlo's fighting on pay-per-view at all, then shitting on the price, to now writing articles about why the Charlos deserve more pay-per-views. <laughs> this is the media when it only responds to trendy metrics. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, it is funny. And look at this. This is how solid of a pay-per-view it was, okay? Now, we glaze Glazer a lot, but we got to give him credit here, okay? Excellent show, six hours of pure boxing, and, you know, he did say that, unnecessary break, uh, blah, blah, blah. But overall, the show reminded him of uh, the 1990 Stack Don King pay-per-view event. So he said, excellent show. So even Glazer, even the Glaze is saying something. I mean, come on, dude. (laughs) It's funny, dude. 75 bucks. Well spent, and we still have three fights left. This is actually, you know, halfway through. No regrets. I have no issue supporting the sport. I care especially about delivering quality. When you stop caring about Heyman or Aram or Hearn or whatever and just watch the sport, yeah, I get that. I'm, I'm with you there. The lack of streamability of this card is highly disappointing. I swear I'm forced to switch to the UFC. I'm converted to an MMA, I'm converted to an MMA fan permanently. Fuck this bullshit. So this guy's mad at the lack of stream out there. Uh, Martin McCoy, or is it McCoke? Uh, Brave challengers do not, this is the Vasquez fight. He got in this big back end because he, he knew, kind of knew Vasquez. He got in this little tiff with me on Twitter. I'm like, dude, you're still talking? This dude is the, one of the guys that put out that message that I'm getting my money's worth for the zone. 
brave challengers do not a 75 pay-per-view make. You can quote me, ha, 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 Vasquez did start strong, okay, maybe one, two rounds. Um, in Makai, at least, had bulldog, you know, bulldog-style chance. Vasquez lacks, you know, so basically, after the figure in Vasquez, he didn't count that as a good undercard fight. <laughs> That's what this guy was hung up on. And I said, dude, it was entertaining. Well, you know, what took away the entertainment for me was the, the one-sidedness in the last three rounds. Then it got less entertaining. Then he went on when he was getting called out for it. Then he was like, well, I know him personally. Okay, well, don't put your personal stuff into it then. If you know someone, cool, but don't act like the first six rounds of a fight is not fun when it is. You know what I mean? It's like, it's pretty easy. Uh, obs- observation of people in your replies are poor. This is actually that clip of Eddie Hearn uh, trying to say that he was getting up. Jillian White was 100% motioning to get up by eight. You can see his arms and legs. Yeah, Hearn exaggerating, but White was groggy, but moving by eight. And like I said, moving like like he was alive moving? Like, groggy? You call that groggy? I'm groggy in the morning. That's not groggy. Uh, motioning to get up. With his arms and legs moving, he was motioning to get up by eight. There was no eight because the dude didn't count. Um, the people who complain loudest about certain fighters not being made are the same ones who use illegal streams uh, for every pay-per-view streaming service. <laughs> uh, that's kind of true. I, I, I noticed that. I do notice that. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, I already mentioned this. The upset overnight, Julio's, you know, JCC Jr. JCC Jr. lost to Mario uh, Cazares, I think it is, um, by a technical decision. He got cut. The scorecards were 59-54, blah, blah, blah. But Chavez Sr., like I mentioned, he won his exhibition. Um, that's funny. Um, let's see. If Thurman had stayed at Golden Boy, he would have had a better career. The best of Thurman's years in fights were with Golden Boy. Explosive, action-packed, then upon making PDC the brand it is today, he goes into Tyson Fury's state of mind with depressive reports about his status. Who would he, who would he have fought had he stayed with Golden Boy? I think that answers your question, right? I mean, when you're not fighting top-level guys, it's easier to look explosive and be in action-packed fights. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, uh, I mean, the Lopez fight was pretty fun. The Pacquiao fight was awesome, one of the best fights of the year. And, oh, by the way, that Thurman-Porter uh, wasn't a bad one either, was it? Um, the comedy of Mannix saying Jermall needs to fight on the zone. Andre can't even get a fight, and he's the first one that signed Canelo may be suing because he doesn't, because they don't pay him and GGG supposedly taking half his purse and Chuck E. Cheese tickets. That's kind of funny. Um, how do you not fight to share at 154? Golden boy was willing to make the fight. Golden boy would have sent to share to ESPN. No problem. Yet you chose. Sorry. as Kel Brook. Yuck. Kel Brook is a better fight than to share guys. I'm sorry. Um, but I need that, but that's, the tweet doesn't even line up because the fight's already made, you know? 
Um, oh, here's some fight news real quick. Uh, Estrada and Quadros. Chocolatito Gonzalez returns. Martinez and Flores. It's a triple header October 23rd, so that's a Friday. Um, this is at the TV Azteca, Azteca uh, Studios in Mexico City. Juan Francisco Estrada. Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez and Julio Cesar Martinez live on the zone. Um, Quatros and Estrada are the top, uh, you know, that's the top billing. And they say, kind of like I said a couple of weeks ago, that um, that the winners will meet Gonzalez. Well, he's taking on Gonzalez. Chocolatito's taking on just a decent fighter in Gonzalez. But I like Estrada Quatros. But the winners are supposed to meet, and Martinez and Flores too. Uh, Martinez is all action, so that's a that's a pretty good triple header there for the zone, I think. Um, Burchell Valdez title fight eyed for December twelfth, um, which is a great, great. I mean, this is part of what I've been saying about their best clothes. This is clearly ESPN top ranked best clothes. You know what I mean? Um, this is great. This is a phenomenal close for them. Fortunately, this is boxing Twitter. Fortunately, if Canelo declines the offer, DeZone has developed a roster and business that they can be sustained without him at this point. Um, there are some sources saying that Spence and Garcia may move uh, to AT&T Stadium. You know, just try to get some live crowd action there. Um, we'll see. Um, another thing uh, with that Canelo thing, and then I'm going to get out of here. Um, what is it? Oh, yeah. So not only is it they're reworking the deal, right, the, the 20, uh, 20 million a fight uh, at least. This is from Coppinger. Alvarez is mulling over the offer. The new offer does include a far wider pool of opponents that would be approved by the zone. Also, the zone – finally viewed Canelo's contract with Golden Boy and Canelo and saw Golden Boy's pact with DeZone. DeZone finally viewed Canelo's contract with Golden Boy and Canelo saw Golden Boy's pact with DeZone because that's something that needed to happen too because uh, that was on some bullshit when they wouldn't, you know, when they wouldn't do that. Um, so that's, that's not a good, that's not a good look. Um, but, you know, hopefully they get that thing, thing you know, figured out, obviously, um, they, they got it. They got to get it figured out. Otherwise it's not going to be a good look for them. If, if he just goes, um, one more thing, Jarrell Miller, he's claimed that he failed his most recent drug test due to a sex bill. His defense is the black ant King sexual stimulant, a Viagra type pill that contains GW 1516, which he tested positive for, but I believe that he tested for more than just that too. But anyway, anyway, okay, one more thing and I'm done. This is this is what cracks me up, dude. You know, to close the year, we got a damn good schedule. We're already through part of it. October, November, December, all things considered, we got some damn good fights, guys. Boxing is dead. Nobody's fighting. That's what this. Pac-Man's not fighting. Loma's not fighting. Uh, yeah, yeah, he is. He's got to fight. Joshua's not fighting. Uh, yeah, 
he is. Usyk's not fighting. Yeah, he is. Wilder Fury not fighting. Well, we know why, but they are scheduled December 19th. I don't think it'll happen, but zero help or zero height, zero household names, it's over. <laughs> I mean, these are just fanboys. That's basically it. Oh, one more thing. Um, the WBC, the WBC, the WBSS, the World Boxing Super Series, is thinking about making a heavyweight division since they, they're, you know, thinking that Fury's going to win the third fight and there'll be two fights next year with Fury and Joshua. Well, what better way than to make a quality opponent out of that? One more thing. Guess the final count of pay-per-view revenue will tell us the true story. This is about the Charlo. In the midst of a global pandemic, do people spend money on groceries, rent, mortgage, or boxing events? And that's obviously not the deciding factor. If that's your deciding factor, okay. But he said, or or a boxing event that would have not been a pay-per-view even 10 years ago. And I replied to this dude, this tweet. He said, "Do you?" Re-? I said, "Do you realize?" That Hopkins and Roy Jones Jr. 2 was in 2010, and Holyfield versus, uh, uh, what was the other one? Uh, was it Botha? Or, not Botha, but how do you say that guy's name? But that was a pay-per-view in 2010. I looked it up. Holyfield on pay-per-view in 2010. This, uh, this guy said this fight wouldn't even be made on pay-per-view. Um, <laughs> and by the way, that uh, Alvarez Yildrum mandatory, got pushed back to October 6th to let him talk more, so I know you're pumped about that. Why does ESPN Plus have a cool top-ranked library? Or why doesn't? Well, I was going to say, what do you mean? What? And I'm still saying what do you mean. Why doesn't ESPN Plus have a cool top-ranked library? Where can you watch last weekend's fights? What the fuck? Just look in there. Go under ESPN Plus, not just the app. Go under the Plus. Go under boxing, top-ranked boxing, and yes, it's right there. It's right there. You know what's so funny? Iola only talked about Derevinchenko out to take Charlo's. You know, he, he ripped the Showtime price and gave it a, like a Derevinchenko look, and that's it, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. Iola is such a... It was crazy, though. I've never really seen um, this much smear campaign for a pay-per-view. That's quality. Um, and I asked the question, if you do drop it to fifty, you know, fifty-four ninety-nine, did the streams go away automatically? And <laughs> just the amount of either just ripping it for not a good enough reason. You could say, hey, I don't like pay-per-view. That's cool. But the level of, of criticism when you weren't doing that for HBO pay-per-views when they were good, right? It just, you, they give you exactly what you want in a pay-per-view and you found a way to ignore it or shit talk it. And I've never seen the Wild Ortiz 2 was probably at that time um, the most critical lack of press from the boxing press that I had seen on a pay-per-view since I started doing podcasts. 
that one was big because everyone's like, oh, dude, this fight's over. Like, it's not going to be competitive. You know, Ortiz is completely washed. Now you got, you know, Manic saying, well, the only the reason why I don't like the Javante fight against Santa Cruz is because Santa Cruz is done. He's completely spent. He's shopworn. He's done. It's like, what are you talking about? He's done? Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Um, but, yeah, this is by far the biggest, most anti-smear campaign that I've seen out of a lot of the top media guys. Not all of them. Some of them treated it straight up. And like I said, I know life's not fair. It's not a, It's not fair. It's not bad. But it's, it's about being a media member, you know. And like I said before, you'll see some of these guys, no matter what political spectrum it's on, say shit about Fox or CNN and talk about their professionalism or lack thereof, but then turn around and do this to boxing. You're up there tweeting. Coppinger tweeted impressions today, like all this social media stuff for the UFC event. It's like, what? What? That's it. That's it. That's all you're getting. It's really awkward. It's so obvious. Like I said, I've never seen it like this. It's it's just degenerate. It's just degenerate. It's just like, come on, guys. Like, wake up. But, you know, anyway, I'm going to get out of here. No surprise, unfortunately. But enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll be back next weekend. Jake Donovan will probably be on the show to kind of uh, – we're kind of, we got a segment working between the both of us here that we're going to try to have them on the show once a month or every couple of weeks or something. You guys enjoy the show. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have the upper hand. So now when... You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.